0: with me to Luke chapter 1. So Luke 1, and welcome to week 1 of our new Christmas series that we are beginning today, a series that we are calling He Is. We're going to be looking at just who Christ is, His identity in the midst of Christmas story, and most of us are familiar with the events of that first Christmas the manger scene, shepherds watching sheep, angels singing their song, wise men showing up with gifts. We kind of know the story, and oftentimes, if we're not careful, we end up viewing the Christmas story as just that only a story to be told during this time of year. Yet, the events that took place in first century Jerusalem are way more than just tells. To be told by us these are these events are revelations of a story of redemption that forever changed the world in which we live and it forever changes us so the ultimate transformation begins when we understand who christ is we understand what he has done for us and we receive that and over the next four weeks through five messages we're going to walk through events of luke 1 and luke 2 and get a glimpse of the revealed identity of our Savior. And yes, He is our Savior, but He is also more. He is much more. And we we live in a world where people have varied opinions of who Jesus is, and that's been the case since He came. In fact, um, last week, Pastor Jordan kind of viewed this event that took place, this story, and I'm going to kind of Jump on that as well. And Jesus, of course, once asked his disciples, who do the crowds, who do they say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah or um, one of the other ancient prophets. And of course, for them to say that, what they were saying is we view him as a pretty high individual. But even though they were viewing him as a high individual, they, were still, they still fell short of who he really was. And because it's not enough for us to know what others are saying about him, Jesus then looked at the disciples and said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter, through a divine revelation, said, you are the Christ, you are the Christ of God, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And although Jesus confirmed his answer to be correct, he is still more. He is still so much more. So this morning, who do you say that he is? And this morning, what have you done with him? What have you done with this Christ of God? So today we're going to start with this picture of Jesus as the promise fulfilled, as a promise fulfilled. And the Lord kind of led me a different direction than kind of what I anticipated. So if this makes sense to you today, then praise God. If it doesn't, it's all my fault. So just kind of, that's kind of how it works, kind of Felt led in this direction, so if it makes sense, praise him. If it's not, the blame falls on me. But this might not seem obvious at first, but we must remember that promise after promise after promise after promise given in the Old Testament pointed to the day when a Savior would come to this world. And God's plan from the beginning of the world, before sin even entered the world, was to send a Redeemer, to send a Savior to redeem his people but in order to do that Jesus had to take an unparalleled journey where he came as a baby he lived as a child he grew into a man all the while perfectly fulfilling his mission everything about his life was perfection so i want us to turn to the word this morning into a very familiar uh, familiar scripture to us but i pray in the midst of familiarity that we would not miss who Christ is, the the promise fulfilled, and what it means to us. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. You can see the scripture right in front of you, or it will be on the screen. And beginning at verse 26 of Luke 1, it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Mary. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to this familiar passage. Lord, we just pray that we would see with fresh eyes, Lord, what you would have us to see, to see Jesus the way we need to see him. May we not miss Jesus in the midst of this season. Speak, O oh God, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. And what we have to understand today is that this book that we hold in our hands, that we see on the screen, is, is, is living, is, is active, there's actually life in. In it, but it's also the most amazingly true reality and revelation in the world. There's a, a little storybook, a kid's storybook called The Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd Jones, and it's an amazing little book. But in the beginning of, of this little storybook Bible, here's what she writes From Noah to Moses to the great King David, every story points to a child the one upon whom everything would depend. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all of these stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. Because the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story, and at the center of that story is a baby. And then my favorite line, and every single story in the Bible whispers his name. Amen. Every event in this book whispers the name of Jesus. Every single one. The beauty of that, of a baby coming, of a Savior dying. And the scriptures are full of miraculous births of people meant for specific purposes. You Think about Sarah and Abraham praying and God giving them Isaac. Jacob and Rachel praying, God giving them Joseph. Manoah and his wife had Samson. Elkanah and his wife had Samuel. And and Hannah, excuse me, had Samuel. Zechariah and Elizabeth had John the Baptist. In each of these cases, what we know is that the Lord opened barren wombs and provided children where none seemed possible through prayer. These events are miraculous, but nobody would say they're impossible. In the case of Jesus, Mary was a virgin who, independent of Joseph, yet dependent upon the Holy Spirit, would give birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world. And unlike the others mentioned just a second ago, having a child was not on the top of Mary's prayer list. Like Abraham and Sarah praying for a child. Elizabeth, Zechariah praying for a child. Mary, not so much wasn't praying for a child in that moment, yet As we're about to see God intervened, messing up the plans of Mary and Joseph in the best possible way. And God didn't merely just open up her womb, God created life, and the life that he created was eternally God within her womb. And one of the great wonders is that the Son of God did not just become human, as miraculous as that would be, but became a baby, would become a baby in fulfillment of God's promise that, that would happen. So I want to lay before us today three truths of the promise that was and is fulfilled. The first is this, the promise was fulfilled by the initiative of God. The promise was fulfilled by the initiative of God. Let's look back at the word again, verse 26 to 28 says, and you see it on the screen, in the 6th month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin, Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored One, the Lord is with you. Then listen to verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And don't miss it, Mary was handpicked to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 7:14, the verse that we read at the beginning. Written over 700 years before Christ became, Mary, would come, Mary was handpicked to fulfill the prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. But know this, when Mary was a young child, when she read Isaiah 7:14, chances are really, really good that she didn't read it and go, I'm going to be that girl. That virgin is going to be me. I've been waiting my whole life to do that. Chances are really, really good that's not how she read Isaiah 7.14. She had to be thinking of someone else, not her. Never in her mind would she think, I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. Everything here is wrapped in impossibilities. And follow me here. You have God the Father sending God the Son, and God the Son being conceived in Mary by God the Holy Spirit. And all of this, according to C.S. Lewis, is kind of a divine invasion where God is invading sinful humanity, where God is invading this world that is turned against him, and God is coming near. And it's God that's showing us that one of the attributes of the Godhead is that God is a God of initiative, meaning our God is an initiating god god takes the initiative to save us and don't miss this because this is beautiful when we rebelled against god not just adam and eve when you and i when we rebelled against god god responded not by leaning away from us god responded by leaning in towards us don't miss the beauty of that God didn't lean away. God sent. Jesus came. The Holy Spirit overshadowed and empowered. God is an initiating God. And that's phenomenal for every person in this room and for those watching online. God has not just left us in our mess. God has not abandoned us and said, well, have it your way. You keep messing it up. No, God has leaned in. In fact, God has taken the initiative. And don't don't miss this. God has gotten his holy hands dirty. You say, well, how can you say that? I think of Psalm 40. In Psalm 40, David writes these words. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock. And here's what I know. You can't pull someone out of a mir- miry bog without getting your hands dirty. You can't do it. You can't. You can't rescue someone from a dirty world without yourself getting dirty. And yet clean hands got dirty. The the Bible says God took the initiative. And just think about Jesus was born by direct action of, of God. No one was expecting anything like this to happen. Joseph assumed the worst. Mary was dumbfounded. The first century people knew just like we do how babies happen. When we get to Matthew 1 and read the the story from Joseph's perspective, Joseph had a problem, and it wasn't because he didn't understand the facts of life. Now, Joseph knew the birds and the bees, and Joseph's saying, It's not mine, therefore I got a problem. And the angel's saying, But it's God, so take it up with him. I mean, how, how do you answer that? What do you do there? And then Mary asked the question, How can this be because I'm a virgin? Now, there are people who have wrestled with this and have said, I just can't believe it. Just someone being born of a virgin, it just sounds too far fetched. You know what Mary would tell you? Join the club. It was far fetched for me, too. That's exactly what Mary is saying. God, I don't get it. God, how can this happen? I don't understand it. God, all of these questions. And here's the beauty. The angel didn't ask Mary and Joseph about their willingness The angel didn't even say, hey guys, I'm going to do this and God's going to do this and tell me what your plan is. I mean, God didn't even ask for their permission. God didn't say, can I have your permission to use you in this way? God acted gently yet decisively in order to save us from our sin. And the principal reason for the virgin birth was so that the entry of God into human flesh would come By God alone, that only God did it. So Mary couldn't say, I did it. Joseph couldn't say, I did it. God alone could say, I did that. That was me. That was my doing. So the promise was fulfilled, first of all, by the initiative of God, but secondly, the promise was fulfilled through the incarnation of God. Through the incarnation, the word means becoming flesh. So God became flesh. We're going to get. We're going to get a little deep for just a few minutes. So just allow me to get deep for just a a, a few minutes here. In verses 34 and 35, as you see on the screen, the angel says, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and call his name Jesus. And Mary said, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The child will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, Pastor Tim Keller put it this way. Christianity is the only religion that claims that God became vulnerable by becoming a baby. He became someone, a child, who could be hurt, who could be killed, all because he was for us. This is the gospel. Our founder is not just a holy man or a prophet. He is God, a God who became vulnerable for us. So because God is holy, something had to be done about our sin. Because God is gracious and merciful, he wanted to do something about our sin. And because he is almighty God, he is able to do something for our sin. And the doctrine of the incarnation, and let's go deep for a second, means that two distinct natures, a divine nature and a human nature, are united together in one person. So it's not that Jesus isn't two different people. He's not God and man. He is one person, the God-man. And the incarnation is not just the most extraordinary miracle in all of the Bible. It's also the greatest profound mystery in all of Scripture. Meaning this, if you think about Jesus being the God-man and it doesn't make your brain hurt just a little bit, then you're not thinking about it correctly. When you think about it, your brain should hurt just a little. A little bit. Because this is who he is. This is who he was revealed to be in the most amazing, incredible way. Humanly speaking, at the incarnation, the word of God became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. The immutable, the one who can't change, became changeable. As he became a baby and, and grew, the unbreakable one became fragile. The loved one became hated by the world he came to. The exalted one was was humbled. Glory, the glorious one, was brought to shame. Fame turned into obscurity. All of this and more happened when Jesus came into the world. It's only only through the virgin birth that God could fully unite deity and humanity together. And the claim is that he is 100%. Man and one hundred percent God, and again, our mind should be like that. Doesn't make sense. Profound mystery. And, and we define it as we define it as the virgin birth, but really, we should more marvel in the virgin conception. And what I mean by that is this: the birth of Jesus, as far as we can tell, was just like every other birth. In the same way, the development of Jesus and the embryonic development in the womb was just like every other. Woman, what sets Jesus apart was that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. And what that shows us is this. Number one, that salvation has to come from God. So if if we're going to be saved, God has to do it, right? Because we can't do it. So if we're going to be saved, not us, it's got to be God. The second thing we see, though, is only through the virgin birth could full deity and full humanity be brought together in one person. Just think about other ways that God could have done this. So what if God created Jesus as a human in heaven and just let him come down to earth and Jesus comes to the man and says, "Um, I'm one of you, I am flesh, I'm also God. People would look at him and go, he's not one of us. He didn't go through what we went through. He wasn't born the way we are born. He's not one of us. In the same way, God could allow Jesus to be born of a father and a mother and then come on the scene and say, I am the Messiah. But we would have said, how can he be God? How can he be God in that sense? Yet, because Jesus is fully human, he's able to sympathize with everything that we go through. So every difficulty that you face, Jesus says, I know. Don't miss that. Don't miss the beauty that every detail of every difficulty in your life and my life, Jesus says, I know. And because Jesus is God, he has authority over everything and he shows us that God can be known, that God has come near. You know, again, we live in an age and we live in a church age where even pastors are standing up behind the pulpit and they're saying, even in this season, well, the virgin birth doesn't, it's not that big of a deal. If, If it didn't happen, then it didn't happen. It's like, are you insane? Like if it didn't happen, then you can't trust this book. And if you can't trust one thing in this book, then how can you trust anything in this book? The virgin birth is a bigger deal than I could ever let on to you because through the virgin birth, Jesus was not born of a human father with a sin nature, but was born of a divine father without a sin nature, with a divine nature, so that Jesus was born without sin so that he could be the sacrifice for, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. That's why He was raised from the dead. That's why people in the New Testament and people even in our world today will lay down their life for Him because He died for our sin. He rose again and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All of that is wrapped in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The promise fulfilled all of it. So the promise was fulfilled by the initiative of God, by the incarnation of God, and then lastly... The promise was fulfilled as an invitation from God. And I just said a second ago that God leaned into us. I'm going to ask you for the next few moments for us to lean in, for us to lean back. I want you to lean back into this moment for the next few minutes. Because in closing, I want to lay before us Luke 1, 37 and 38. And it says this, For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, just, just stop there and let that just sit over you for a second. Nothing impossible with God. And then, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I don't know who came to church this morning or who's listening online for just, just for this moment. But there is someone here, someone listening right now who is facing an impossible situation. Or you know what? Maybe you'll wake up tomorrow and go throughout the day tomorrow and that situation will arise. And you need to know that nothing is impossible with God. You need to hear that today. Nothing is impossible with Him. What promises of God are you having trouble believing? Psalms 23:6, are you having trouble believing that His goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Are you looking back on your life and saying, I can't see his goodness and I can't see his mercy? Or are you having problems believing the promise of Isaiah 43 too? That when you go through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Are we having trouble believing that God is with us wherever we go? He never leave us, never forsake us. What about the promises of Jeremiah 29, 13? You will seek me and find me if you seek me with all of your heart. And we go, well, I feel like I've done that. I don't know what's happening here. Where, where am I at? God, where are you? Or the promises of Romans eight twenty eight? All things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And let me just go back. Work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Or what about Romans 8, 32? If God did not, if he gladly or would not spare his own son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Do you believe that? What do we have trouble believing? Do you believe that with God all things are possible? Is that where we are today? Whatever it is today in your life, And all of us probably have that it, or like I said, that it is coming. But whatever that it is today, our response needs to echo the response in the heart of Mary. Don't miss it. Hear her words again. You'll see them on the screen Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And let's be honest, because church is a good place to be honest. It's a really good place for us to be honest. Let's be honest. There are times in our lives where we don't fully see what God is doing and we don't understand what God is up to. Anybody? More honest people. I like it. I mean, there are times that we're like, God, what are you doing? It doesn't make sense to me. God, I don't understand how your goodness is being displayed in this because this isn't good. Nothing about this feels good. It feels terrible. There are times where it seems like God is slow. Anybody else? Where it's like God, this should have happened yesterday or last week. I don't know what you're doing, God. Hello, I'm here. Are you looking at someone else? You're missing me, God. I don't don't get it. Where we just wonder and we say, God, I, I needed this. This has to happen. And God is like, Oh, you silly one. You know what? What do you even do? You even know what I. No, but in those moments, how should we respond? Do we turn away from the one who brought forth his only son of a virgin because we think we know better? No, that's not what we do, even though we've done that. I can't tell you the number of times I've said, God, you haven't shown up by now, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. You know what's happened? I've come back to God and said, I really messed this up. Can you please take this back and praise God he does. But we do that. But no, we should respond by saying, God, I don't completely understand what all is happening in my life. But I do understand who you are and you're good. And it's impossible, God, for you to ever do anything that's not good. So therefore, I'm going to trust you even when I don't understand what you're up to. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And I believe that understanding how we were saved really matters. Because the more you understand that God did for you what you could never do for yourself, the more you're going to trust him. Meaning, the more you realize that God saved you from the greatest thing that you could ever be saved from, the easier it's going to be for you to trust him for the little things. Easier it's going to be for you to trust him for tomorrow. If I can trust him with my eternity, I can trust him with well, what's going to happen this coming up week, right? I can trust him in that. But the more that you think you had a part to do in your salvation, the more you think you have to upkeep it, and the more you begin to question God what you're doing, as if you have the right to put God on the witness stand, and God has, or has to answer every question that you have. Now, that's not the picture we see in the Word. But let me take that description. Let me do this. Let me call one witness to the stand. I want to call you. And I want to put me on the stand. Because here's the deal. I think every single one of us in this room, we know this. If our salvation was dependent upon me or you for anything, there is a 100% chance we would mess it up. Amen? Amen? There is a, not not 99.9, 100% chance if salvation was dependent upon me or you, we would mess it up. We would absolutely mess it up. We were reading yesterday in Luke 18, our Bible reading plan, salvation, Jesus said, is impossible with man. We can't do it, but God saved you. And if the God who can't fail saved me, then I can trust him for tomorrow. There's security in that you can trust the God of the impossible. And the clarity that we need, that you and I need, is that God is a God of initiating love, and what God starts, He will finish. I want to put a scripture on the screen. It's uh, the words of the Apostle Paul. And some of these, this word is familiar to most of us in here, but I pray that we would maybe see it in a new light today, or hear God saying this to you. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion At the day of Jesus Christ. If you want a pastor to tell you what that means, it means this. What God started in you, he will finish in you if you let him. Let him. Submit yourself. Let God finish what he started in you. Our God started this. He initiated it. There's nothing impossible with him. He will keep us. He will finish what he started in you. It's absurd to believe that the God who is able to save us for all eternity won't be able to help us now. He will. The God who began a good work in you, the one who initiated it, the God who enabled and guaranteed a work in you based on the birth, life, death, resurrection of His Son is the God who is inviting you in this moment to believe that nothing is impossible with Him. Will you believe that? We believe that in your life, that nothing is impossible, that God keeps his promises? Listen, God keeps the promise of salvation. He says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's God's promise. He keeps it. There's no one who's ever called on the name of the Lord that hasn't been saved when they call on the name of the Lord and bowing to him as their Lord and Savior. No one. He keeps his promise. God keeps the promise of direction, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. God keeps his promise of wisdom. If any lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and he gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given. God keeps his promise to answer prayer, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened. God keeps his promise of help. He is our refuge and strength, a present help in time of trouble. God keeps his promise of hope. Christ in us is the hope of glory. God keeps his word. The promise has been fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled in your life and my life if we submit ourselves to him. Believe God today for the impossible. Whatever that is, believe him today. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call musicians forward as we enter into this time of invitation and consecration. And let's let's pray together. Father, in this holy moment, Lord, I don't know what it is that, that it is in all of our lives, but you do. Lord, I believe by your Holy Spirit through your word that you are moving across this room and maybe even at home or where other people are watching online, you're moving in our lives. You're revealing to us those impossible situations. And there are times in our lives where those impossible situations scream at us and tell us, it's impossible, don't even bother you, God, with it. That we should just carry the burden on our own as if it's some medal or trophy. Yet, Father, us carrying the burdens, you you don't applaud that. Lord, you say, bring those to me. Cast your care upon me because I care for you. God, your goodness and your mercy are following us. Your presence is always with us. You are working every detail, even the most terrible, most tragic. You're working them for good. Lord, you are the God of the impossibility. You're the God that makes impossible things possible. So help us today to look away from ourselves and look away from others and look to you. Finish this time, Lord, in a way that brings you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.